Today, our final event, and we're going to have to do it real quick because uh, we're trying to get you to the airport, I know. I know you're getting nervous. I'm spending too much time talking. Um, is uh, the Mourner's Kaddish. And the exact topic is the Mourner's Kaddish, a new interpretation, final event, Rabbi Ellie Kalmper. Thank you, guys. Thank you again for, uh, for welcoming me back here and back to this uh, Tashira Malot. Um, it's really been a joy uh, to be with you these last four days. For, for those who didn't, um, uh, if, if you didn't go to any of the previous three, uh, three talks, just uh, on one foot, Mechon Adar is a Jewish educational institute um, in New York City. It's a lot of learning that, we, that you can do online, in person, um, by, by, by phone, um, any, any number of ways. If you're interested in more information, I'm just going to send around a sign-up uh, sign sheet, and uh, we, we graduated to clipboards. You already signed, you don't need to do it again. <laughs> Your chief rabbi is the largest shul in New York. That's right, exactly, yeah. For those who don't know, Mechon Adar is the largest synagogue in New York, and I'm the head rabbi. I've been senior rabbi there for about 30 years, but I'm not retiring. Um, we're going to look at the Mourner's Kaddish uh, today, and as an opportunity um, both to look at the method that we started looking at last night. If you weren't here last night, that's fine. But last night we looked at the way in which prayers can be opened up uh, and interpreted more broadly when we look at the way in which they're quoting sections from the Bible. Um, and with the Kaddish, we're going to be able to look, uh, use that method to open up the Kaddish and also to just um, sort of really delve into a prayer that uh, for many of us, either as a mourner or just as an attendee of a service or someone supporting a mourner, um, you know, has a lot of meaning um, that we sort of assign to, to the prayer. But we're going to try to open up what is the prayer about what is it trying to accomplish? And how might it reframe our relationship to mourning uh, and our relationship to God through the mourning process? So that's part of what we're going to explore when we look at the prayer. Now, those of you who have been here for the other classes, you know that the method we're going to do is, involves a little bit of work from you. Um, I'm going to pass out the, uh, the, the sheet, and you're going to do a little bit of work reading the prayer out loud with another person who's sitting next to you. Um, and you're going to ask uh, as many questions as you can about the prayer. It's an opportunity really to engage with a prayer that, although it's familiar to many of us, we're not intimate with it yet. But at the end of this hour, we're going to be hopefully a little bit more intimate. So I'm going to pass around the sheet. Plenty of copies today, so if you, if you don't have, it's coming around. Um, um, I'm staying with an ENT doctor who's treating my inability to uh, to get through an hour without losing my voice. So um, hopefully we can we can make it through this. <laughs> I got lots of pills. Um, does everyone have uh, have access to the the sheet? It's still coming around. Well, while it's coming around, I'll just say, I remember the Mourner's Kaddish growing up in my synagogue in Providence, Rhode Island. The rabbi would always say, before the Mourner's Kaddish started, would introduce the Mourner's Kaddish with a little, uh, um, I guess, a, a, a prayer, um, which went something like, in solemn testimony to that unbroken faith, which links the generations one to another, let all who are in mourning now rise to... Magnify and sanctify God's holy name, right? Um, I actually, 
was doing a little bit of research into that, that prayer. It was written by a rabbi, an American rabbi named Jacob Cohn. Uh, it was published in a siddur in the late 20s. Um, and it made its way into the Silverman siddur, which was the sort of standard black cover conservative siddur uh, up, up until the 80s. I was originally pu published in the 40s. You, you have some more? Yeah. Um, Um, yeah, the, 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 anyone remember what page? And it, like Ashray, who's with me? Ashray, page 137, right? Please take, turn to page 157 for Ain Galloweinu. Anyways, th these are my memories. Um, but it was also very clear from that introduction to the Kaddish that the Kaddish was this solemn moment, right? Where we're all going to magnify and sanctify God's holy name. Um, so we're going to sort of explore a little bit of that background and that framing uh, and maybe offer a different approach as we look at this prayer. Does everyone now have the, uh, have the sheet or eyes to, to a sheet? I have plenty, plenty more up here. There's more here. Yeah, there's more right here. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, just on page one, I presented to you the Kaddish. It's um, the mourner's Kaddish. I numbered the paragraphs one through seven. Um, the Kaddish, as we'll see, is a prayer that is used in different uh, parts of, of, of the prayer service. What's known as the half Kaddish is paragraphs one through four. The full Kaddish is paragraphs one through seven. And the mourner's Kaddish is paragraphs one through seven minus paragraph five. Okay? So, uh, it, um, but it's all sort of wrapped up here. I'm going to ask you to, to just take five minutes. You're going to read the prayer out loud with the person sitting next to you. And you're going to ask as many questions as you can come up with. What's strange? What's unusual? What doesn't make sense? Take five minutes, read it out loud. Okay. Let's take a moment um, to hear a little bit from you. If you didn't get through the whole Kaddish, it's totally fine. Actually, if you, um, we could do the whole thing just on the first four words. So if you got through the first four words, you're ahead of the game, all right? Um, but let me hear from you. Uh, uh, what are some of the, the things you noticed about the prayer, some questions that um, arise for you? Yeah, please. Uh, there's no mention in the prayer about death or about um, the person that you're praying for. You know what I'm saying? To give you um, Okay, good. There's no mention of death, and there's no mention of a specific person who is passed, uh, who's passed on. Um, we talked Sunday night about the word past. Um, yeah, but by the way, almost the opposite. Um, that life is mentioned in the first, uh, in the first paragraph. Your lifetime and in the lifetime of all Israel. But chai, like, you know, um, to life. L'chayim. Um, so that, that word is there as opposed to death. Okay, so why, why is it not uh, mentioning dead? Well, I mean, I was told as I was growing up, this is always, it is like you said, it's the same prayer. We say it a couple times in services, but even though you're mourning somebody, you're supposed to be praising God of life. And I know that's a hard concept because you're thinking about your loved one, but you're thinking about God. And I noticed also the first four paragraphs kind of talk about God's mag, God is great, God is this, and then the last three are 
give us peace, give us, remember us, and all that. Okay, good. So now you're already trying to answer the first question, which is why don't we speak about death, and what's the purpose of focusing on life? We're gonna that is sort of what you offer is a sort of one standard approach, which is despite the fact that we're in mourning and loss. We want to emphasize the life aspects and, and God is all-knowing. We're sort of magnifying and sanctifying God's holy name without necessarily getting into the specifics about the loss there. Um, and you're noticing a shift between the, the first section uh, up through paragraph four and the last three and what's the relationship there. Okay, so good. We'll add, add that to the list of questions. Yeah? Well, two things. First, that this is third person. But the second thing, more importantly, is that this harkens back to me, to Job. Job is about suffering. What's the answer to suffering? Grieving when you have somebody lost, it's it's intense suffering. The answer of Job, when you talk about suffering, is is I'm not going to give you a reason for it. This doesn't give you a reason for the suffering. I'm not going to even uh, tell you to be comforted. God doesn't tell Job to be comforted. God, God, you know, only, the only thing that is said is that I'm great. I'm mighty. I created the universe. You can't possibly understand it. And there is a meaning to everything, even though you can't possibly understand it. Okay. This really is echoing all of that. Okay, good. Um, so two points you said. One is it's in the third person. It's talking about God and not directed to God, which is, as we saw last night, very unusual. Almost all Jewish liturgy is direct address of God. Right? Baruch Atah. Atah is you. I'm talking to God. And here, we don't, we don't actually address God. So that's sort of unusual. And then secondly, you brought Job into the picture and the sort of theological approach of Job. We're going to see how Job um, sort of emerges out of this text uh, even in a more direct way. So, so hold on to, uh, to that thought. We'll take a couple more. Yeah, Kyle? In line two, what's the difference between forever and all eternity? Good. Okay. In line two, le'olam olamei almaya, right? Which is translated here. This is the Mitsuda Siddur. Um, forever and for all eternity. Although you can just hear in the Aramaic, it's all, actually three conjugations of the same root, which is olam in Hebrew, like melech um, ha'olam, which either can be a spatial image, the world, or a time image, like leolam va'ed, means forever and ever. Um, so what's the purpose of that repetition there? Why is it saying it over and over again? And is there a distinction between the first half of that line and the second half line? Good. That's a good close read of the text when you're sort of just saying, what is the, what's the, uh, the, the purpose of these extra words? Yeah, please. How did the codifiers of the prayer services decide which one should, be, should remain in Aramaic and which should be translated into Hebrew? Which of the paragraphs should be in Aramaic versus in Hebrew? No, but, no, but there's Aramaic used in, the, in this prayer and in almost all the other prayers that we, that we pray in daily liturgy. It's in Hebrew. Good, so okay. This is another sort of a puzzle about the, the, um, a puzzle about the Kaddish is why is the, the language of the Kaddish in Aramaic, almost all liturgy is in Hebrew. Uh, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with another Aramaic prayer. Right, so Brich Shmei, which ends Be'anarachet, which we say we take out the Torah, comes from the Zohar, um, which wasn't added to the Sidor until about, um, well, the Zohar itself wasn't until 12th, 13th century. This, this came about a thousand years earlier. So why, why is this in Aramaic? Um, that's, that's sort of a core question. By the way, even the Kaddish itself isn't entirely in Aramaic. Right, did you find any Hebrew in the Kaddish? Seven. Seven, right? That's entirely in Hebrew. Um, other Hebrew pop sort of peeks out. The um, Imru Amen is Hebrew. Um, Beit Yisrael. Yeah, the whole Beit Yisrael, exactly. 
Um, so, uh, okay, good. So there's a language question here. We'll take a couple more. Yeah, please. Actually, I think this is just a format because we are blessing on, ev on almost every occasion. We have Kaddish de Rabbanan, which we say after finishing studying in the morning seer. When you finish a tractate of Gemara, you say a Kaddish, that the basic, the seven sections are the basis, but we are adding to it uh, uh, material. Correct. In, in Jewish religion, in Jewish understanding, death is part of life. It's an occasion of life, not an occasion of uh, a disappearance. So this is a proper way to say, to sanctify that life. Okay, good. You're saying um, there's a lot of different forms of the Kaddish. We say it in different... Actually, it's amazing. The same Kaddish that we say at the end of finishing a tractate of study, um, which has an additional paragraph which is not here, is the same Kaddish that you say at the graveside. Right. What is the relationship between finishing a section of learning and finishing a life, basically? And those are drawn together by the same ritual event here. Um, uh, oh, good. You're, you're, you're offering already answered one of the questions. Right. We'll take another question and we're going to dive into some answers. Yeah, I'm just I'm curious as to why the, the, the phrase or the wording is of the name rather than of the concept of God. And given that, why is the name of God itself not mentioned in the whole? Oh, okay. This is a fantastic question. Why is the name of God missing from this prayer? Actually, um, sort of, it's, it's known that the prayer doesn't talk about death, but it also doesn't talk, doesn't mention God. And that is extremely unusual for Jewish liturgy. Jewish liturgy is not shy about using God's proper name. Again, the blessing formula is Baruch Atah Adonai. In those three words, you have a direct address, second person, and the mention of God's name. You do not have Yud Hei Vav Hei here at all. You, you, you start that first line, Shemei Rabbah, his great name, the antecedent isn't there. You don't know whose name, we all know whose name we're talking about. Maybe his name was, you know, Charlie. It was like, we're talking about Charlie, he's over there. We don't have the antecedent. So why is God's name missing from, from the Kaddish? That, those kinds of questions, that's, this is going to help us sort of um, dive in. And what I want, you, please. I just want to say that in verse 3, they, they go, it goes around it. It says, the name of the Holy, but it doesn't use it. Good. You would have expected in paragraph 3, again, it says, Shimei, his name, be the name of the Holy One. Um, but we don't actually have that name. So it's just, it's just very clear. We're going to see the way in which it's even stranger. There are so many reasons why God's name should be in this prayer. So a sort of meta question that I want to ask about this prayer is, why is God's name missing? What does it mean for God's name to be missing from this prayer where I would have expected it to show up? Okay, so we're going to return to that question. Take the last one, in please. Related, related to that, we're wondering, who is the, who are we talking to in this prayer? It says... Um, in your lifetime and in your days, but who is the your that we're talking about? Good. No, this is another unusual aspect about the Kaddish, which is, who are the characters in the Kaddish? There is your lifetime and your days, and there is the speaker who is speaking in the Kaddish, and then there's God who's a third-person reference, right? So I am actually not addressing God. I, the, the, the reader of the Kaddish, am addressing you. Whoever you are, we don't know who you are, but it's not God, 
Okay? It's b'chayechon v'yomechon. It's some plural group of people that I'm addressing. Sorry? And, and the next line says, and all the people that don't like them, all the people. Correct. But now, now I'm already referring to the all people, but I'm addressing you. I'm speaking directly to you, plural, whoever you are. Okay? That's a very unusual. Um, can you, there's one, one prayer that we know very well where that also happens. Where instead of speaking to God, I speak to you. I speak to you about God. You know what that prayer is? When you, when you address the congregation, in a prayer, addresses the congregation as opposed to addressing God. Think, sorry? A lady was us. That's first person. Where's another second person address in prayer where this, the second person addressee is not God, but people? Ashrei uh, is actually not an address, um, although it has other interesting aspects. Think about the Torah. When you go to the Torah, what do you say? Yeah, okay, so V'ahavta is interesting because you're quoting V'ahavta Adonai Elohecha is, right, Moses addressing the people, actually in singular. Um, so that would be an interesting, another one. V'ahavta Adonai Elohecha, which is a direct quote from the Bible. A non-quote is when you go up to the Torah, what do you say? What's the Aliyah? First thing you say. Baruchu. Baruchu. You know what Baruchu is? It's a command form, second person, you bless. Bless. Baruchu et Adonai. Bless God. So I'm speaking to you, whoever you are. Okay? So there is a similar sort of role here where I say to you to do something. Like, v'imru amen. Say amen. That's what it means. Can I get an amen? That's what they're literally saying. V'imru amen. Right? Say amen. They're not addressing God. They're addressing the assembled masses. Okay? So the, the Kaddish is... Uh, unusual for all these different reasons. Aramaic, God's name is missing. God's referred to in the third person. There is uh, somebody else who's being addressed in the second person. There's a distinction between the leader and the other people who are hearing the prayer. Um, and, and we're going to take some of these uh, unusual aspects of the Kaddish to try to open it up. Now, let's look again at, um, at line, line one. How are we translating that? Here it is. Exalted and sanctified be his great name. How would you... Translate the fourth line down, and may he rule his kingdom. The Amlich What does that mean? May he rule his kingdom. What's what's unusual about that line? May he rule his kingdom. Well, the Hebrew is the same word. Yeah, Yamlich is the verb, and Malchut is the, the the noun, and the A is the possessive. So may he rule his rulership. May he be king over his king, kingdom. Why would he have a kingdom if he wasn't ruling it? Ah, this is my question to you. Is God king? According to the Kaddish, is God king? So not exactly, because the Yamlich Malchute is a request. May you rule your kingdom. Do you know another prayer where that sounds, that sounds familiar? And the Elena will ask, why don't you be one someday? Aren't you one? We just said that 20 minutes ago. Okay, good. Yeah, that's right. The Elena were asking God to, On that day, God will be one. Even though I just said in the Shema, you are one. Do you know another non-Jewish prayer where this comes up? The only non-Jewish prayer that I know. The Lord's Prayer. Say it out. What do you got? No, no, that's Psalm 23. What's the Lord? Our Father, our Father, our Father. Hallowed be thy name. 
Hallowed be thy name. Yidkadash Shimcha. Thy kingdom come. You know what thy kingdom come means? V'yamlich malchutet. Let thy kingdom come. It's not here now. You are not king. I want you to be king. Okay? So part of what's important to notice about the Kaddish is, and this is in distinction to that introduction to the Kaddish from Silverman, is the Kaddish is not a description of a current state of affairs. Magnified and sanctified be his great name. It is a request for something in the future. May God be great. May God be holy. May God's kingdom come. Okay? It's a request. It's not a statement. It's a request. Now, I know this further through the, uh, the method that we used last night of looking to see where the, quote, where the prayer quotes the Bible. So let's see where Yidgadal Kadash is being quoted in the Bible. Turn over the page. Um, we're going to look at page three. Okay? Um, on that day, this is a vision of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is uh, the dry bones prophet, and he also is the prophet who brought us Gog and Magog, that um, sort of ultimate end war that's going to bring, from the same English word as Armageddon, is Gog and Magog. It's, it's the final war. So in this prophecy um, that, that Yechezkel, that Ezekiel gives, uh, it's talking about the end of the world. So pick up with me on verse 21 on the top of page 3. I will then summon the sword against him, against Gog, throughout my mountains, declares Lord God, and every man's sword shall be turned against his brother. I will punish him with pestilence and with bloodshed. I will pour torrential rain, hailstones, sulfurous fire upon him, and his hordes and the many people with him. Thus will I manifest my greatness and my holiness, and make myself known in the sight of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. What does it mean, Yidgadal Kadash? Is God great now? Is God holy now? No. Will God be great? Will God be holy? Yes. When? End of time. Right? So Yidgadal Kadash is a request for God to be made great and made holy. That is to say, to bring the end of time. P.S. What else happens at the end of time? The dead come back. All right, so there's a little bit of dead in the cottage. All right? If you're mourning, you know, there's one thing where you say, oh, God is in charge of everything, stoic, and God's great and amazing and holy, and I am poor schlub and, you know, sort of in my pain, but God knows everything. That's one thing. Or, hey, God, I want you to bring back my loved one. That's going to happen at the end of time, right? Yidgadal Yidgadash. May you be great. May you be holy. And... Will they know? This gets to the Aleinu, right? In Shema, we say that God is one for Israel. But in Aleinu, we say on that day, God will be one, not for Israel, but for everybody. Okay? And another time, there's one other time in prayer that we say, Yidgadal Kadash, very clearly talking about a future request. Um, it, it, it's not Yidgadal Kadash, but Tikadal Kadash. Does that sound familiar? Anyway, where do we say it? May you be made great, may you be made holy in your city, Jerusalem. Let our eyes see the coming of the kingdom. Is God in Jerusalem now? 
No. Do we want God to be in Jerusalem in the future? Yes. It's a direct address. It's in second person. May you be made great. May you be made holy in Jerusalem. I'm asking God to show up. So, again, if you take nothing else from the Kaddish, the Kaddish is not a stoic description of a great God who controls the world, and I'm just submitting to that. It is a request for God who is not king, who is not great, who is not holy, to become great, holy, and king. That's not our world now. We want that to be our world. The Kaddish is a request. Okay? And all the interpretations of the Kaddish made this very clear. I brought some of them here on the bottom of page 3. Um, you can see in 4b, this is the meaning of May God's name be magnified and sanctified. In the future, his name should be made great and sanctified. As it's written, the quote from Ezekiel, right? In the future. So um, that's part of what the Kaddish is about. It is a request. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Zeus. <laughs> I mean, that's in Southern California, anyways. Um, I, you know, um, right. So, who is in charge? We saw this a little bit last night with Elel Yod, God Most High. We were just talking about this. Is God, if I say to you, here's a good one Michamocha Bailim Adonai. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? What do you mean among the gods? I thought the main thing, Judaism, monotheism, right? But there is some sense that there are other powers out there, and God is superior to them, but not everybody recognizes that. So I think sort of the tension that we live in is actually completely related to Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, we make God king, okay? We crown God. It's a lot of the... Um, a lot of the poems around Rosh Hashanah, Adonai Melech, Adonai Malach, Adonai Loch Alam Ba'er, or Vietayu, Melech Yoshev Al Kiseir. Good, Melech Yoshev even. Melech Yoshev Al Kiseir. We're making God king on Rosh Hashanah. What do you mean I'm making God king? God already is king. Why do I need to make God king? Because on Rosh Hashanah, what I'm acting out is a world in which everybody understands that God is king. There's no more multiplicity. There's no more other competition. There are no more Eileen, but we're not there yet. Okay? That's at the end of time. So, what, so I think the Kaddish is raising a difficult theological challenge, which is God is not supreme. God isn't ruling over everybody. People have to recognize God for God to rule over them, and that's not happening. So again, the Kaddish is describing a world that's imperfect. And we're going to see that as a mourner, we're going to see the, world, the, the theme of imperfection is going to come through further in this in this prayer. So I want to look further into, into the prayer here for a second. I should, I should just note what you want to say, God. I just want to ask you, in 4b, what's the difference between yud heh vav -Hey and Adonai? For right now, he's, he's not written as he is called. Yeah. He's called, he's written, when, you sit, when I write, which I can't write on the board, yud heh vav -Hey, because it's like the unpronounceable name of God that you can't erase, so when I write it, you read it Adonai. You read that Yudevave, if you actually pronounce it, you know what it sounds like? Me neither. Jehovah's Witnesses do. Okay? But, but they are, but, but Yudevave is Adonai. But on that day, in the future, we're going to pronounce God's real name. God's name is going to be full again. That's also, there's a Yehoshmei Rabbah. We're going to look at this line now. Yehoshmei Rabbah Mivorah. May God's great name be blessed. So there's a reading of that, which is, this is Shemei. 
Shemay is, that's Aramaic for Shema, right? Which is shame, which is name, and then the possessive of. But in Aramaic, the possessive is a. But just note, shame, you can read it Shemay, but you can also read it as shame ya. Yehei Shemay Rabbah. So one interpretation is, oh, let the name of God, which is Yah, be made great, which would be yud Hey vav Hey. You only have half of God's name here. In the future, when everybody recognizes God, God's name will be spelled out in full, as it were. That's part of what, what we're getting at. All right, we need to move on. So let's look at that line, Yehei Shemei Rabbah Mevorach Le'olam Omeo Maya. That's the line, line two here. This is how the, um, the Kaddish was referred to in the Talmud, basically, not by the term Kaddish, but by the term Yeheshmei Rabbah. That's how it's, there are only about five places in the Talmud where the, where the Kaddish shows up. It's a little bit ambiguous, even if in all those places they're talking about what we know as the Kaddish, but in all of them they talk about it as, they refer to the Kaddish as Yeheshmei Rabbah. So this is sort of like the headline of the, um, of the prayer, Yeheshmei Rabbah, and there's a lot of um, sort of power associated with that line. So what is the role of that line, Yehesh Meirava? We're going we're to see this. Um, I should say that when you think about the Kaddish as a mourner's prayer, the practice of saying mourner's Kaddish in liturgical history is very relatively late. We actually didn't start saying mourner's Kaddish. This is a little bit of a debate. But let's give me this at least until after the Talmud closed. There's no reference in the Talmud for people saying mourner's Kaddish. Um, the, the earliest possible source is a source in Masechet Sofrim, which itself is a debate about when it was written, but let's say roughly 7th, 8th century, you have some reference to the practice of saying Kaddish for a mourner. If we have time, we're going to look at a story about the mourner's Kaddish and how it became um, a, a practice that you would say every day. Um, but, but fundamentally, originally the Kaddish wasn't said in a mourning context. This gets to why are there no dead, uh, mention of death in the Kaddish? Because it wasn't about death, <laughs> okay? And where, what was it about? So look at the bottom of page three. Rabbi um, the context of the Kaddish. Rabbi Yishmael said, at the moment when Israel is gathered in the study houses, and here's a teaching from a wise one, Mipi Chacham, afterward they say, Amen, Yeheshmei Rabbi Mivarach. In that moment, the Holy Blessed One is joyful and rises in his world. Kaddish, was originally a response to study. You do a selection of study, you say the Kaddish. And the great example we have that in our liturgy today is the Kaddish that you say after Torah reading. You read Torah, you say the Kaddish. That's the original idea of the Kaddish and may also relate to the idea of why God isn't addressed in second person, but God is addressed in third person. Because sometimes when you, when you offer prayers after study, it's talking about God as opposed to in the middle of my Amida where I'm talking to God. Okay? But the, what we need, what's important for us is Kaddish originally was not a mourner's prayer. It was originally a close of study prayer. So the question is, why was it appropriate for mourners? Why did it get shifted into a role that mourners should say it? Why is it, it, it actually fits well for mourners? And that's what I want to explore with you. Okay, so in order to do that, we have to figure out a little bit more about Yeheshmei Rabbah Mivorah. Now, to do this, we're going to look again at where this comes in the Bible. So turn over to page 4. Job is going to make an appearance here. Now, we said there's no mention of death, and you could see the Kaddish as sort of like, I'm living in a world where God is in control, and what am I supposed to do? God knows everything, I know nothing. 
But let's look at these two biblical sources that may sort of complicate that. The first is on 5a, the top of page 4. Daniel, chapter 2. At the beginning of the book of Daniel, we said yesterday Daniel lives in exile after the, the destruction of the first temple. And he's a sort of court Jew. He's a dream interpreter for the king of, of Babylon, um, uh, Babylonia, Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar is actually on a vendetta to get all of his dream interpret interpreters assassinated. This is like a bad day to be a dream interpreter, okay? And Daniel is one of those people. So he's, uh, he's about to be uh, sort of schmeiced by the king of, uh, of Babel. And this is what he does. I'm in um, number 17. Uh, verse 17, top page 4. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, of the matter that they might implore the God of heaven for help regarding this mystery so that Daniel and his colleagues would not be put to death together with the other wise men of Babylon. Right? Daniel is under threat, and Daniel goes to see his friends, and they're going to go pray. Verse 19, the mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. There's the So it's a quote from the Bible. For wisdom and power are his. Okay? Now, just note this. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. How close is that to Pretty close. One major difference. What's the one difference between the, the verse in Daniel and the verse that we say in the Kaddish? In Daniel, it's Leve Shmei de Allah Mevarach min Alma ben Alma. In ours, it's Yehe Shmei Rabba Mevarach the Alam Omeo What's the difference? Rabba replaces God. Good. Shmei Rabba, the great name, his great name, is what we say. Daniel says the name of God. Shmei Allah, Elah, El, Elohim, right? That's God's name. So again, the question of why isn't God's name, here's the biblical source for the core line of Kaddish, Yeh Shmei Rabba Why isn't God's name mentioned when it says it straight up in Daniel? It would have been a very nice prayer if you said, Yeh Shmei Da'Allah Mevarach, Le'elam Omeel Let God's name be blessed forever and ever. So why is God's name missing? That's, I'm just sort of strengthening that question that came up earlier. Now, the second source where this comes up, which is a Hebrew source, but still echoes this, is in Job. This is the first chapter of Job, um, source 5b. Job arose, tore his robe, cut off his hair, threw himself on the ground, and worshipped. Why did Job do all that? He suffered the worst loss of, of, of biblical proportions, right? His entire family, all of his wealth, everything is wiped out, okay? He is the ultimate mourner. He says... Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. Adonai natan Adonai lakach. God has given, God has taken away. Yehi shem Adonai levorach. May the name of God be blessed. How does that sound compared to what we say? Yehi shmei rabba mevarach. Okay, so it's missing lalam omeo The only other difference is, in Job we say Adonai, and in Kaddish we don't say Adonai, we just say rabba. His great name. We don't say God's name. So now again, Mourner's Kaddish doesn't talk about mourning, doesn't mention death. But it does happen to quote Job right after he experiences the worst loss known to the biblical imagination. 
And that's our response in the Kaddish. Now, it could be that Job himself, there's one other source that's in play here, which is Psalm 113. We know it maybe from Hallel, source 5C. Hallelujah! By the way, hallelujah, you know what that is? Praise the Lord! Who am I speaking to? You! It's a second person address. Let me have an amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah! That's all the same. I am the leader. I'm whipping you into a frenzy about praising God. Okay? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Baruch Hu. It's the same form. Second person command. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Servants of the Lord. Praise. Praise. Hallelujah. Here's the response. So I, the leader, say, praise the Lord. I say, praise the Lord. What do you say? That's how you praise God. I say praise the Lord. You say verse 2. It's Hebrew for Now notice, Job says the same thing as Psalms, but Job cuts off the Olam Right? Maybe Job can't quite bring himself to do it. To say your praise forever and ever. Okay? But just note, there are references in our Kaddish that go back to the Bible of people who are under mortal threat, Daniel, he's like about to die, and people who have suffered, Job, who say the same thing that we say in the Kaddish. Now there's one other part in the Kaddish that might reference death or suffering or mourning, which you may come back to at the end. You know what, just turn back to the Kaddish for one more second. Turn back to the Kaddish, look at, look at number four. I t Paragraph number four. God is above all blessing, all song, all praise, and all consolations. Nechama. Nechamata. What do you mean God is above all consolations? Why are consolations here? I thought this was a praise of God. I understand. Birchata, shirata, tushbachata. Bracha, shira, sheva. Those are praise words. But nechama, comfort. Who do I comfort? Mourners. So if I say God is above all praise, what have I just done? I praise God, and then I say, but God, you're above all praise. Right? I literally said, yibarach, may God be blessed, even though leilam in kol you're above all blessing. I can't really bless you, because you're above all blessing. So if I say you're above all, all consolations, what have I just done? I've consoled God. Now, how is that possible? What would it mean that I just consoled God? This is what I want to understand with you. Um, let's, sorry? God mourns with us. Good. How do I know that God mourns with us? What could God be mourning? Right? What's the way in which God mourns? So let's take a look at the earliest story of the Kaddish. The first place in Jewish history that the Kaddish shows up. I'm excluding now, for now, Matthew and the Lord's Prayer. It's an interesting relationship between the Lord's Prayer and the Kaddish. I'm not going to get into it. Okay, but look at page 6. Turn over to page 6. Amar Rabbi Yossi. This Rabbi Yossi is one of the earliest rabbis who shows up in the Talmud. Rabbi Yossi says, it's a story, a little story, okay? One time, I was walking on the path, and I entered a ruin from one of the ruins of Jerusalem in order to pray. Where was Rabbi Yossi living? after the destruction of the second temple, right? 
But he's in Jerusalem. Now, why is he in Jerusalem? That's sort of odd. After the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem wasn't like a hot real estate area. Um, in fact, Jews were forbidden from living there at some point. So did he sneak in? What's he doing there? Okay, it's not usual for him to be hanging out in the ruins of Jerusalem, but he's there. He's in the, the ruins of Jerusalem. And what happens to him? He entered a ruin from one of the ruins of Jerusalem in order to pray. This means pray the Amida. The Palel, Tfilas, to say the Amida. Okay, so he goes into a ruin and he starts to pray the Amida. Elijah, blessed memory, came and watched the doorway. Elijah was the greeter. You know, he's wearing the hat, he's got the brochure. Until I finish my prayer, right? So Elijah is there, he's watching, and Elijah says to me, Whenever the Israelites go into the synagogues and schoolhouses and respond, or in some manuscripts, may his great name be blessed, God shakes his head and says, happy is the king who is thus praised in his house. Right? Stop here for a second. I say, what's God's response? Basically, I'm happy. You're I love it. This is great. Thank you. Thank you. Right? was a response that people used to say upon hearing God's name in the temple. When was God's name recited in the temple of old? Yom Kippur. One day a year, the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies, recite God's name, and you know what everybody else would do when the high priest recited God's name? Yeah, that's right. They would hit the ground, they would prostrate, and they would say, Baruch Shem Gavod Malchutol Elam Vayed, which is actually a lot like, which is all the same elements to it, and in some versions they actually substitute for each other. So in the olden days, people would say God's name, and they would respond, may God be blessed forever and ever, and God would say, yeah, this is great. I am loving this. This is working for me, right? Now, let's read, just read to the end of here. Is the story happened that it was Yom Kippur, and Yossi maybe was a Kohen Gadol, and he went into what he thought the whole to do that, yeah, so that would be interesting. I'm, I'm not sure, uh, that's a good question whether Rabbi Yossi was a, was a Kohen. But let's see how it ends. So, they, so God, in the, when, when the Israelites go into the synagogues and schoolhouses, we say, God shakes his head and says, Happy is the king who is thus praised in his house. But then it continues and says, Woe to the father who had to banish his children, and woe to the children who had to be banished from the table of their father. What's God's emotional state here? Morning. Oi. It literally says oi. This is what God says. What's God mourning? God is mourning the state of the world. Now, put aside politics here for a second. The temple, the temple existing, is a metaphor for the perfected world where God's presence is on earth. God dwells in the temple. The temple's gone. God is gone from the world. Right? So God peeks in here and there, but God doesn't have an address. You can't mail something to God anymore, right? But now, God is remembering the old world. Oh, remember that old world? You used to say my name. What does it mean to say someone's name? It's some sort of intimacy. If I know your name, right, I'm connected to you. That's Jacob asked the angel, tell me your name. He wants to be intimate, and the angel says, I'm not going to tell you my name, right? But I say your name, I have some sort of relationship with you. God remembers the old days when the temple stood and God used to be here on earth. But what world do we live in? 
the world of ruins, right? That's the world of Rabbi Yossi. Everything is destroyed. God is saying, oi. So I think what's important is, in this conception of the Kaddish, God is a sort of a companion in the mourning process. It's not that God is the marionette sort of string controller who's going to kill this person off because God has a great big plan. But rather, God is also mourning. God is also suffering. And the mourner is inviting God in to the, to the house of study and the synagogue to play in this role of fellow mourner. Right? Now this, um, this plays out with the idea of um, the nechama. When I say God is above all, all comfort, I've just comforted God. So what's the comfort I offer God? I offer God a comfort of memory. I say to God, And God says, oh yeah, I remember those old days when people used to say that and I was living on earth and things were better. Right? Memory as a sort of comfort for God. But then God sort of moves beyond that and says, Oi, things are bad. You know? So you have this dual side of there's memory, and that's a form of comfort. And the mourner is actually comforting God by saying this line, Yeish me Rabbah. At the same time, God is also suffering. Now, this is brought together, and with this we're going to bring it to a close. It's brought together by a beautiful um, uh, teaching of, of the rabbi of the Warsaw Ghetto. Turn over to the, uh, the top of page 7. The rabbi of the Warsaw Ghetto, so an amazing educator, and he wrote uh, down every week his, uh, his sermons that he gave on the Torah portion. He buried them in the Warsaw Ghetto, hoping that they would be found at the end of the war. They were. They were dug up, found. He didn't survive the war, but his, his, his writings did. And they were printed in a book called Eish Kodesh, Holy Fire. So, so think about his audience. You know? know your audience? Who's, who's he speaking to? These are not people who are exactly doing well with God's activity on earth, right? Um, so this is what he says. He's talking about um, the story of Rabbi Yossi. He's writing about this, and he says, Now the Jew, who is tormented by his afflictions, thinks that he alone suffers, as if all his personal afflictions and those of all of Israel do not affect God above, God forbid. Scripture states, however, in all their troubles he was troubled, and the Talmud states when a person suffers... What does the Shechina say, God's presence? My head is too heavy for, for, for me. My arm is too heavy for me. The Shechina suffers as well. Our sacred literature tells us that when a Jew is afflicted, God, blessed be he, suffers, as it were, much more than the person does. Right? So there is a... Now, the, the image of a suffering God didn't quite make it to the big time in Judaism because another religion kind of took that image <laughs> and ran with it, you know? Um, but the idea that God suffers as a result of human suffering is clear in Jewish sources. And that, I want to argue, is part of what's going on in the Kaddish. So to, to sort of bring it together, there are two aspects to the Kaddish. Number one is, is a request. It is a plea. I want to live in a future time where, God, you are great, and you are holy, and you are king, and that's not right now, because I'm suffering, and things are bad, and I've experienced loss, and we're not at, in a perfected time. That's one part of the Kaddish. It's a request. It's a plea. And the second part of the Kaddish is when I say, Yehei Rabba I become in league with God as co-mourner. God is mourning. God mourns the loss of my loved one. God mourns the loss of my loved one in a larger context, which is the loss of the entire sort of world 
that God had built where God's presence was here. That world is gone. It's lying in ruins. Okay? And God is experiencing some sort of mourning aspect as well. And so when we say, hey, Shnei Rabbah, we are on the one hand comforting God through memory. I remember what things used to be, says God. And also bringing God in league with us to be a fellow mourner. So I, I want to argue that the way this prayer evolved was into a, a space in which God is seen as with me in my mourning process. God is comforting me just like I am comforting God. And together, we mourn the loss of the world that we both used to live in, which was more whole thanks to our loved one who is now no longer here, or in God's case, thanks to the, um, the presence that God used to have on earth, which is God. So my, my hope is that by looking at the biblical sources, we can sort of open up the way in which the Kaddish itself could be seen not as a stoic um, you know, submission to a powerful God who is pulling strings and we don't understand it, but rather as an invitation to live in a better world, and also to see God as mourning along with us as we go through our own mourning process. We'll stop here. Thank you so much. It was great to be with you.